0: Celebrating classics and creating new ones. Only on the Music Vibes Podcast.
1: Now, here's your host, D.C. Hendrix. And welcome back, everyone. This is the Music Vibes Podcast. I'm your host, D.C. Hendrix. Back with another edition here. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. Everywhere podcasts are available. Go ahead and make us one of your favorites. To keep up to date by subscribing, scroll down. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you are thinking. Last week, I was joined by Adam White and Paul Sexton of You Discover Music. We talked Motown, all things Motown. My final installment of my Black History Month series this week, I'm joined by the one and only Erica Campbell, has a brand new article up at Uproxx. She's been working very hard over the last couple of weeks, but in particular, I'm going to talk to her today about African-American women in rock and roll and how they had a pivotal impact on the music. So Erica Campbell is going to be joining us here in just a few minutes. So when I talk about African-American women in rock and roll, these are a few lovely ladies that I think of instantly. She spit it, snuffin' boogie, Spit Go ahead and welcome Erica Campbell into the Music Vibes podcast. So I scroll Twitter a lot these days, probably more than usual because there's not much else to do. And uh, it's Black History Month, so I'm looking at, you know, some things to talk about in my podcast. And I just so happened to scroll and see this article talking about African-American women and how they pretty much, you know, paved the way for rock and roll. I mean, digging back to its history and... All that good stuff and you're behind this article Erica, so I appreciate you coming on today.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed writing that article, so I appreciate you you know wanting to talk about it.
1: Absolutely. So, just go ahead and let's start because this is your first time on the podcast and I've had a lot of your colleagues on. I know Philip, your editor was on. He comes on like every year to promote the uh is it the music critics poll that we do at the end of the year. He he always comes on for that, so I've had him on. Um, Aaron, the the hip hop guy, he just came on just a couple of weeks ago. We talked a little hip hop and R and B. So, go ahead and tell us. I know you, um, you do a lot of different things, so just tell the audience, you know exactly what you do, who you work for, all that fun stuff. Yeah.
0: So I am a music journalist. I mostly write about rock music. It's the genre I most resonate with, and like I mentioned in the article, it's the music I really grew up on. Um, outside of that, I do hosting, like, you know, presenting, interviewing. Line right now, usually in person when Earth is open and there's not a whole pandemic. Happened. Looking to more of that in the fall. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like lots of freelance writing about rock music like I've done with Up Rocks, as well as, you know, publications like Nylon and Glamour. And yeah, wherever I can really story and have the advantage of having really great editors that, you know, help me tell that story. So.
1: That's right. Yeah, all over the place. So, so many different publications. And so just to start off, I want to know you a little bit more on a personal level in terms of music. So who are some of your personal favorite artists and bands of all time?
0: Oh, yeah. So I am very much like <laughs> I, I like very specific sound of music. That's almost like it could be I feel like it could be a little vanilla when I talk about it, but it's just what I like. So I can't really um, do anything about it. But I like my, one of my favorite bands is the strokes. I really like, you know, I like guitar rock. So big fan of the killers, but also big fan of the bands that came before them, like the Beatles and big Led Zeppelin fan. Like, I really like a good guitar rock band, uh, specifically bands that still have like that line that you could track back from like those early blues and, you know, R and B sounds that, turned into what we refer to as rock music.
1: Yeah. And a lot of people, and I think you mentioned a little bit in this, in your article as, you know, us being African-American and being really heavy in the rock community. Um, I don't know if you have this same uh, issue, but we get a little, a little criticism, you know, in the terms that we're in quote, I'm doing air quotes for those who can't see white, listening to white music in quotes Um, You know, and I think you mentioned a little bit of that in your article. Um, Do you get any of that criticism a little bit?
0: I definitely did growing up, uh, like, from all sides, really. I think even in the small town I grew up in, like, everyone was listening to, like, rap music or country. It was a very interesting place to be in, to be listening to rock music, specifically, like, alternative rock music and I didn't have a lot of people that were listening to the same music that I was listening to. Um, and I did get a lot of judgment, not just from all sides. Like it, it, either you're like the only black person that's part of the conversation or listening to the song, or you have your black peers telling you that you're listening to white music or, you know, you should be listening to X, Y, and Z. So it's, it's interesting to kind of go back and look at that and realize how wrong that was. Um, Cause at the time you feel very like, outcasted Mm -hmm. and and ostracized and it it seems silly now looking back at it because it made no sense but yeah that was definitely my experience
1: that's right yeah same here you know and eventually you just reached a point where you're just like hey whatever i like what i like um so this let's dig into this article a little bit so you did mention a couple you know talking about you know how pivotal um you know african-american women were to rock music and it goes it goes back so far i mean I mean, you could go back to the 60s, 50s, a little bit before that. So go ahead and let's start digging into your article a little bit. What exactly, you know, how did you approach writing this article prior to actually writing this for UpRocks?
0: So I was actually to read this book called Black Diamond Queens by Maureen Mohan um, just because it was like something that, just kind of showed up in like i was reading about other articles just about women from the 60s who had had an impact on rock music um and i ran across one of her articles for npr that talked a lot about the ronettes and it just felt like it, it i was just chasing my curiosity about it because it did kind of feel like um interesting to me that this is something that people don't talk about as much as they should. I think people are slowly realizing that, okay, rock music does have black roots, but um, at the same time, they kind of say it as like a throwaway statement. People don't dig into it as much as they should. It's not, I read a lot of books about rock music, especially like the heyday of rock, like the seventies and all the folklore that goes around with that. And a lot of these people aren't really the characters that are mentioned in these books unless they're mentioned like very offhandedly. So I thought that was interesting and I wanted to read the book. And um, while I was reading the book, I had the opportunity to exploration of the topic who had a lot of revelations about myself as like a Baptist preacher's daughter who grew up on gospel music and thought that it was so separate and I was rebelling so much. I like loving rock. Music, when at its core, it was very much those similarities that drew me to the music in the first place. So that's kind of the evolution of it. And I was lucky to talk to the author about it and just really learned so much from her. Not only in the way of what I you know think now when I hear rock music and what I'm listening for sonically, like you know mm-hmm. the the vibrato and the the calling back and forth, and even the performances that I love are so tied to black music and when i see that now it's like having that frame of reference to talk about music to write about music is so important to me um and the way we talk about artists especially black artists like the way we talk about Jimi hendrix in a way of like you know he's a black artist but the most important thing about him was that he was an amazing guitarist and I never had someone tell me like how much of a disservice it was to kind of take people's blackness out of what they're creating in, in a way that at first seems, you know, very thoughtful and very inclusive of being like, everyone's just making music. You start to take away the people that are creating it. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely opened my eyes to how I want to write about music, the artists that I want to write about, how I want to like create context that people around me and coming up after me don't have that same stigma that we had where it's like, this is white music when it's literally not. Um yeah that's why I wanted to write this story and it was it was really fun to just have this idea of like oh I want to read this book and see what happens and then really have this like you know all these little revelations as I was reading it that turned into an article about I'm really I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to share.
1: Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are as this has been buzzing all over Twitter um and social media the last few days and You know, you talked a lot about Jimi Hendrix, who I just idolized growing up for, I mean, obvious reasons. We share the same last name. That doesn't hurt. Um, So, I mean, you know, just him. I just look back, you know, at the time, just think back, you know, even deeper than the music. But the time where he's coming up, 1967, that first Are You Experienced album. And I mean, 67 was not the greatest time for black people to be he. I mean, and he's performing in front of white crowds. All of his fans are white. So, like, that's something that I dig into as well, especially for Black History Month, as how important these people were, you know, to you know not only rock music, but for black people, you know, and how, you know, today we got Gary Clark Jr. Uh, playing rock and roll. And, you know, he paved the way for people like that. So if I were to put you on the spot here, which I am, I love doing that on this. Um, so give me the African-American woman version Of Jimi Hendrix.
0: Oh my goodness. I just, I have so many. There's just so many artists I can think of. I honestly, but for me, for me personally, like outside of music, just out of like sheer how you should live, it's Mm -hmm. Tina Turner. I absolutely adore Tina Turner. I was her for Halloween last year. That's very important to note in this
1: podcast. That's right. You
0: know, she's like the background of my computer. Like I think about her all the time because not just because of the music that she's created or the way that she worked her career, but like just the way that she lives in general. I think that the fact that so much of her music came out after she was 40 in her solo career and she just kept pushing forward and pushing the limits of what people believed was appropriate or what people thought of as black music or how black women should perform. And I think it's really interesting that she was so strategic about her career. Like she knew going into it that what she was doing when she was covering artists like the Rolling Stones wasn't just making white music. She was very aware, like acutely aware of the fact that she was artists who were emulating black music. So when she was go on stage and performing these songs, to these audiences, it wasn't as if she felt like she was like putting on an act or trying to, you know, kind of cover these songs and cover this genre. She was literally just infusing what she knew was at the root of that music, which was, you know, this, this core root of Black music into her performance. And she knew that audiences would consider it rock music and that Labels would consider it rock music, but she knew what it was. I think that that's why she was so able to walk into that and step into that confidently because she was aware of what she was doing. Um, And she just didn't really, she didn't ask for permission. She didn't need someone to come before her and say, you can do this. She really was like the first person to, because we talked about like how so many of these women, like going back to like the fifties were doing this, but they were doing it in a way where they could see what the limits were and some of them kind of had to back away because of those limits. And they did feel um, apprehensive because of the fact that they're being told, no, you can't do it that way or no, you can't do it for that audience. But Tina really just did what she wanted to do. Um, And I think that's what, there's like that rock and roll in that behavior as well of just being like, I'm gonna do this no matter what. And I'm gonna create the music I wanna create. And I'm I'm the queen of rock and roll and no one can tell me otherwise. Um, that not only you can hear sonically or see in her performance, but just see how the way that she's lived her life and pursued her career. So, yes, huge Tina Turner fan. Could not say enough amazing things about her.
1: I love it. I love it. Yeah, got to got to dig out some of these pictures of the Tina Turner costume. I think that's pretty creative. I, that's something I was Jimmy Andrix three years ago. Four, 4 years ago, something like that. The 2020 was like 14 years, so it's hard to it's it's hard to think back how long ago it was, but yeah, Tina Turner is definitely, you know, the first woman I think of when it comes to, you know, African-American women in rock and roll. I mean, obviously it goes back even further than that. Um, I mean, you go back to Betty. Um, you got to go back a ways for that as well. Um, you know, just kind of, you know, digging into a few more here. Um, who are some other, you know, ladies that, you know, people should probably know about as we're talking Black History Month and we're looking back on African-American women in rock and roll who paved the way. Who are some other ladies that you think, you know, the audience definitely needs to know about?
0: Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that you said Betty, like the, the books named after a line in one of her songs. And Betty Davis was just like such it. it the thing about Betty Davis that gets to me is. She's so clearly this dynamic artist who was really doing and pushing like punk performance on stage and vocally in her music. And it makes me a little sad. I'm like, if she were a white woman doing that, what would the storyline have been? What would her Mm -hmm. contribution have been? How would we talk about her? I think that's been given a lot more. You know, do now. And I think a lot of people look back, they give her credit, but it's like, what would her life and trajectory have been like? Would we have to have these conversations about like, who are some of the unsung heroes? If, you know, if race wasn't a factor that played into it, but also if, you know, gender wasn't a factor that played into it. There's all these different aspects of like gender and genre and race that contributed to how we talk about artists and how we talk about their music um, in ways we wouldn't talk about it if it was just sound like a standalone piece of art, which, you know, it's something to focus on and think about. But I think another artist that really stood out to me was Big Mama Thornton, like her story and her like, just like the folklore around the way that she handled being an artist then and drinking milk and gin, which sounds so Ugh. so awful to me. That sounds horrible. Um, you know, hold the, but milk. Are, hold the milk that sounds disgusting, yeah. <laughs> but those are things you want to hear about when you talk about rock and roll. You want to think about, like, what did the room feel like? Was it like was it, you know, like they're in the south riding around and it's hot and sweaty, and she's drinking milk and gin, and like it's just you, you like that folklore aspect of it, but we don't get to hear those stories that way with black artists as much when it comes to this genre, so um, and Um, at the the epilogue of the book, Maureen talks about how at Big Mama Thornton's funeral, when they're like laying her to rest, they're just talking about how they wish that people could have seen her talent more than the color of her skin. And that's heartbreaking to me because I'm like, what do I need to do as a writer? And what do we need to do as like people that work in the music industry to make sure that this isn't something that happens, not only with our artists that we have now, but like even most that came before and just continuing to point back and saying like that person, that person's melody, that person's arrangements, that person's contribution is why I like to enjoy the artist I get to enjoy today. Um, you know, so I think that that's someone else I think about a lot. I think about the Ronettes. I think about the Shirelles. I think about a lot of the backfinger who had these like voices that were truly instruments um, that weren't given as much credit because their instrument wasn't a guitar. And don't get me wrong, I love guitars, Uh, you know, but I, I think a lot of people come to mind. And I think that that's why I would tell anybody to read Black Diamond Queens, because I think reading it that way from like start to finish, it just creates this whole story in your head of like, why we should be giving black women more credit where credit is due and not in a way to like alienate other people's contributions. Like um, I think it's interesting when you look at artists like the Beatles and you look at artists like the Rolling Stones, like they had no problem wearing their inspirations on their sleeves and talking about the black music that they enjoyed and talking about um, the authenticity or the voice that they liked and like how it tied into gospel. It wasn't like it was these bands as much as it was these like ideas marketing and these ideas, like what the salad has to boxes so that they can sell to the right audiences the right way so i think um just continuing to point back to those artists is just so important
1: absolutely yeah you mentioned big mama thornton and you know the one person that gets the credit for um you know hound dog is really elvis and you know people a lot of people watching this listening to this probably didn't even know that she did it you know and that's that's an issue Um, that's a huge issue. And we you know, we talk a lot about and I'm I'm really glad that we started with Tina Turner though, because you know, I think she would be the best one to compare to the impact that Jimi Hendrix had. What she did, I mean, Proud Mary, I mean even after Proud Mary, I mean you got what's love got to do with it that crossed over all kinds of different genres. It's like four different genres. Um and you look at, you know, let's look at today's you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So we got finally ladies are finally starting to get recognized as the last few years. Um, It's it's about time. That's an argument for another day. But um, finally, the ladies are starting to get recognized for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So as you look at that as a whole, um, you know, obviously, Tina Turner being involved. You got even this year, you got not really Rock and Roll, but Shaka Khan, her being, you know, even recognized for the second straight year. Um, what, are, what are your overall thoughts on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and, you know, given these ladies that paved the way they're due?
0: Yeah, a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, just like those types of ceremonies and it's, it's an interesting, like holds an interesting place in my head because you want people to receive the accolades. where they know that they deserve but you also have to kind of take a step back and look at it contextually and just ask yourself like why is it taking so long for certain people to receive the fact and the credit that's due I think it's amazing that you know that they are paying attention and allowing more women to be nominated for it's just it's so overdue that it's almost like it's hard to talk about. Cause it's like, you want, people, you want to be excited about it, but it gets to the point where it's like, when it takes this long, it's like, it's, it's like, thank you. Like, thank you now, I guess. Um, and Tina has been, you know, in the, the rock and roll for, um just not for her solo work, but at the same time when you realize that she hasn't been in for a solo work, it's like, why is that? And then you go back down this whole spiral of like, There's this gender, race, genre theme that runs through when we talk about Black women in music. And I see it shifting. I mean, it's so shifting. There's so many artists coming out today that really do not have any interest in fitting into whatever binary that we're creating around them. They're going to make the music they want to make and they really don't care. And I think that's so rad. Um, I just interviewed uh, Meet Me at the Altar. It's really great post-like pop band and Jensen McRae who's really doing really beautiful folk pop music and they really they understand the importance of what narrative they're sharing as um, women of color but at the same time that's not going to change the type of music they're making and who they're making it for Mm -hmm. so I'm grateful for the shifts I'm grateful that those shifts are taking place in every room in every area including the rock and roll hall of fame um I wish it would have happened sooner but you know what what are you gonna do? I guess that's my
1: thing. Yeah, it's kind of similar, you know, it's earlier this year. I know Major League Baseball finally said, you know, gave the credit to the Negro Leagues and, you know, mentioned that those records finally count as a Major League Baseball stat. It's like, OK, like finally in 2021, like what happened now for you to finally decide this? Like, yeah. So it's like it's kind of similar. It's like, OK, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, you know, high five. Um, it's just, it's kind of a similar thing, but I, I do, I just wanted to highlight that though, because that is something that I've been following for a while in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is one that, you know, I, I I differentiate that between like the Grammys and stuff like that. Like Grammys and stuff has lost all significance. So like, I don't really care anything about the Grammys. Uh, I could literally do a podcast on that every week. So we'll save that for another day. But the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is more, I feel like that has more of a, I mean, it's a career accolade. It's not just, what have you done in the last year? So, like, I really want more women of color to be recognized for this. So, at the very least, we have women of color being recognized. And that's, I, I guess that's what's what's important to me right now, just hoping more get in. Like you said, Tina Turner being inducted in solo. So, if I were to put you on the spot again, which I'd like to do again, I mentioned that a couple of times. Um, so, women of color rock and roll songs. If you were to give me three essential rock and roll records from women women of color, what would you give me?
0: Oh my gosh, you're totally putting me on the spot. <laughs>
1: <sighs> <laughs> I would go Hound Dog.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. I honestly, I'm, I, I.
1: Probably proud Mary. I can
0: steal your answers, but that's—I—I I, I don't know. That's a hard one for me. That's a hard one for me. I honestly feel like I'm, I'm gonna have to—I have to think about
1: that. Did I just give? Did I just give you another article idea?
0: I think you did. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write it, then I'll send it back to you.
1: There we go. Um, I did see Laverne Baker, who I wanted to make sure. Like um, I know that goes back away as well, but uh, that was one I wanted to mark as well. So that's, you know, it's just something to think about. You know, as we talk, you know, essential rock and roll music for women of color, I gave you a nice little homework assignment there. So yeah. we'll, 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 we'll trace back. So to kind of put everything in contrast, you know, what, what do you want people as I know what I got out of your article? Um, just I learned a lot about, you know, women of color and how I mean, I, just what I got from it was how they're still a little underappreciated. Um, and how we need to recognize them a little bit more on how they paved the way. But what do you want the readers to know from your article that you have in rocks?
0: I think the big, the biggest thing that I would want people to know is kind of what I got out of it. And it's that if you don't tell these stories, then it's like you mentioned with Laverne Baker. Like she really believed that her art would just stand for itself. And we should, and it would be amazing if that was the case. And we should, You know, it would be I know a lot of artists would love that across all genres and races to just make their music and not have to go online and promote it or interview or, you know, it would be great if just music could stand alone and that's it. And then you just go about your day. But it's there. There has to be somebody to be a conduit for the story and to tell the story. And I think we all have a responsibility to tell these stories, because if we don't, they're not not going to get told it's just it's it seems so obvious but it, it's it's as simple as that like it, it might it might sound fun to like write about the people that are going to get the most attention or the most mm-hmm. um the, the artists that are like the biggest names right now because that's what people want to read about and i think trendy artists are interesting and i think it's worth talking about but at the same time it's like if you don't go back and really give people context and give them the history of the music that you enjoy. Like I, I know for me personally, like I listen to a lot of bands with four white dudes and guitars Mm -hmm. and I love that music and it resonates with me at the same time. I feel like it's important and significant and my job to tell the stories of black women in this genre, because if I don't do it, I can't just expect people to know those stories or understand that, the importance and the impact. Um, So I think the biggest thing I want people to realize is that we have to do this work and tell these stories or nobody else is going to. And even if people don't read it or people don't get excited about it, it feels like um, it feels like it feels like a mission, like it's important and it's necessary. And we just have to continue to point back and to give people credit because if not, they're, they they disappear. And that's such a disservice to the work that they've done. And like what we have today is because of them. So it's important to give them that credit.
1: Very well said. Very well said. That's deep. That's deep. Erica Campbell joining us here on the Measle Vibes podcast. Before I let you go, by the way, really appreciate you coming on. I don't bring any journalist on without letting them and giving them the floor to promote their work. You did sneak in an article that you just released earlier today, earlier, but here's your official floor. I mean, anything that you got coming up, you got the floor promoted.
0: Yeah. I love, I love a sneaky article drop. Um, (laughs) You know, I've been writing a lot this month about black women in rock music. So you could read those articles at Campbellerica.com. Outside of that, you know, I'll be I'll be working with, um, I'm not sure when this podcast comes out, but I'll be hosting some sessions for Spotify for artists coming up for people that are trying to break into the industry and reach more audiences. So that'll be really fun. Um, So keep an eye out for that. And yeah, thank you so much for having me and letting me rattle on. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to think about those, those three records. I'm going to, I'm going to be thoughtful about it, but I'm going to get this back to you.
1: All right. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll do this again. Okay. Of course. Thank you
0: time travel with DC Hendricks on the Music Vibes podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify on your mobile device. Podcasts by Federated Media.